All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel podcast. I am here with my good friend, Travis Gibson. Travis, how are you today, sir? I'm doing good, boss. How about you? I can't complain, man. It's uh, it's Monday morning, but it's Thanksgiving weekend, so I'm looking forward to a short week. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You got, uh, got any good plans for the week? You know, just uh, friends and family. Just uh, be grateful yep. for what we got and good food, a couple of cocktails, and maybe a cigar. There you go. Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> How about you, brother? Uh, heading over to the uh, Oregon coast to visit family over there. Going to uh, do a little motorcycle riding and uh, try and get maybe some fishing in. And uh, same thing, visit friends and family and uh, should, be, should be a good time. Nice. So speaking of motorcycle riding and fishing and all this stuff, a lot of people in our industry know you as a very well-accomplished um pistol shotgun rifle carbine uh the whole nine yards you're you're just a phenomenal shooter but before you got into the shooting sports you were actually a very accomplished motorcycle and bull rider if i'm not mistaken is that correct well i, I don't know if i'd say very accomplished i did it a lot and um you know had had a good time doing it but i don't know if a very accomplished would be the, be the right words for it <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've thought about it a lot, you know, since since I took up shooting and, and I don't know, honestly, um, you know, the bull riding thing, it was it was a good time. I really enjoyed doing that. The rodeo scenes, you know, it's a lot like shooting. There's just a ton of great people in it, you know, so I really enjoyed doing that, being around it. Um, you know, in addition to doing the, you know, the bull riding portion of it, got to, uh, you know, actually drive cows and stuff like that. And just being around those folks is just, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. And, and on the uh, on the motorcycle end of things, it was uh I was more there for a good time than to be good at it, you know, and uh, right. I was too scared to go super fast because I hated crashing and, you know, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but luckily that's one of the problem. one of the things I don't have a problem with in shooting, you know, you can go super fast and, and when you um, quote unquote crash, you don't go to the hospital. So, you know, <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on. If, if I'm not mistaken, about a year or maybe two years ago, I saw you zip lining shooting. Yeah, <laughs> that could have ended well, bad. Well, it yeah, it, it could have, but it was still we we put a lot of safety precautions into that to make sure nobody got seriously damaged. So it was yeah, it was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably one of the best pictures I'd ever saw. I was like, that is so badass. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, we did that. You know, the zip line stage for the MGM Ironman. I don't even remember when we did that. Two thousand eight, two thousand ten, something like that. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just kind of something that we wanted to, uh, you know, have that nobody else had. So we, I think we accomplished that goal. I, they, uh, right, right after the first year that I think that they did that, uh, I don't know if you're familiar or remember they had that show top shot. Well, yep. one of the guys that was one of the instructors on there, he actually came and shot our match for a lot of years. And so they actually did a zip line, uh, you know, on the top shot program. That was the year that Ian Harrison won it. And, uh, you know, with recoil and, yep. and, uh, Chris Serino was on there. But uh, we asked him, like, so did you get that? Did you get that idea from us? Yeah, yeah, we did, of course. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So from bull riding and motocross, you started shooting at what some people might consider a little bit later in life. I mean, you were in your mid-30s or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I started, I was racing motocross for the second time when I was just 29, 30, something like that, 31. So I started shooting, I think I was probably like 32. Okay. 32, 33, somewhere in that neck of the woods. So, 
you know, compared, I, I don't know, at the time, I didn't think it was that late in life, but, uh, you know, looking at it the way things are now, you know, with a bunch of the junior programs that we've got on both the, you know, the action pistol and the three gun and the, you know, in the long range side of the house now, yeah, it was kind of old. <laughs> <laughs> so what got you into shooting after your, uh, your other careers? Well, um, my, um, my, my dad, and my uncle, <clears throat> actually my uncle started shooting competitive pistol matches here, here locally in the Boise Valley. And, uh, you know, my dad had his own business at the time doing steel fabrication and whatnot. And, uh, my uncle talked my dad into going to pistol matches with him. And through the course of events, um, you know, my dad came to the conclusion like, Hey, if we start building targets, we can write off the guns and ammo as a business related expense for testing and development. Right. And so that's how, that's how MGM got started in 92, 94, something like that. And, um, you know, I actually went and shot a match with my uncle before my dad did. And like, the only reason I did that, honestly, is because I had just come off of a broken ankle from riding motocross and I couldn't go ride yet. So I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll go. Well, um, my dad, uh, kept badgering me. He's like, come on, let's go shoot a match. Let's go shoot a match. Ah, All right, whatever. So I went and shot a match with him and it was a pretty good time, but you know, not something that I was, you know, super stoked about. Well, he kept badgering me. Let's go, let's go shoot a match. And I'd actually come to work with him at that point in time. And, uh, and this was in 2004, I think is when I went to work with him. Well, I'd worked with him for like two years. And so I finally went to the second match with him. And, um, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, if I go to a pistol match, this is something I think if I put some effort into, I could probably be good at, and there's virtually no chance of me going home in an ambulance. So <laughs> right. that's, uh, that's, that's when I, I mean, I remember the day, I remember exactly where we were at when I had that thought and, um, literally sold, sold two bikes and probably within the next two months and bought guns. And that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all she wrote. Yep. That was it. Downhill from there. <laughs> nice. So you have a huge list of accomplishments with pistol, but then you also started into multi-gun three gun. Yeah. I, um, I, I shot pistol primarily for about a year and a half or two years and you know I mean, i'd go shoot you know obviously the iron man i'd go that was like the one three gun match that i would shoot every year and it was fun but i didn't have all the equipment and you know and that was when i was you know still pretty uh conservative on where i spent my funds you know my 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 uh, extra funds so right. um you know i got to the point where you know i started getting some gear get a you know get a rifle and get a scope and get a shotgun and all that sort of stuff and um and so after about a year and a half or two years of shooting pistol, I just, you know, really started enjoying the, the three gun side of things. And that's, that's where I kind of go, went after that. Nice. So when did you get into long range precision shooting? Uh, how did I get into it? Yes. Um, it was something, <clears throat> it stemmed from me being a really crappy long range shooter in three gun you know i mean i one, one of the first national matches that i ever went to you know i placed good on all the stages uh you know and, and i say good you know top 50 uh in all the base stages which means i had good movement and was able to drive the gun quickly and that sort of stuff but the thing that killed my overall max performance is just that i was terrible at the long range stages you know i mean those were you know you're talking about a 15 or an 18 stage match two or three long range stages was enough to completely destroy my overall finish so right. that's when i decided like hey i need to start getting good at this and so, you know, quote unquote, long range at a three gun matches out to 350, 400, maybe 500 yards. And they're pretty good sized target. I mean, you know, they're three, four, five, 10 minute MOA targets out to that distance. So it's not real difficult, but you know, I mean, it's a lot more speed oriented. So when I started, um, you know, practicing and trying to get better, um, you know, on the three gun side of the house, I was like, Hey, 
this long range shooting stuff's kind of fun. And so that's when I started, uh, started doing a little bit more of that, got myself hooked up with a, you know, a bolt gun and, you know, 308 bolt gun and, you know, <laughs> whatever scopes they had available at the time. And the first long range match that I went and shot was the uh, TPRC. And that's when actually, um, Scott Milkovich was still running it. So, nice. um, I think it was probably the first or second match that he ever put on, you know, like a major match. Right. And so we sponsored it and I went down and shot that. And it was funny because at the time my, my big concern was like, well, if I can get my dope, all this positional stuff, you know, I've got, I can crush that because I, you know, I do that stuff all the time. Well, come to find out just like, I think everybody that's new to long range shooting, the, um, the dope is the easy part, you know, <laughs> it's all the yes. positional stuff that really eat your lunch and, you know, and call them the wind, you know, that's the thing that, uh, that, that ate me up. But, you know, it was also one of those things where, um, you know, it was just, it fascinated me, you know, being able to get good at that and figuring out, you know, with holdovers and, you know, and calling wind and all that sort of stuff. It just, I just really, really enjoyed that. So in a relatively very short amount of time, you went from like amateur status, just owning, you know, a firearm to a world world renowned accomplished shooter. How did you do accomplish this in such a short amount of time? Lots of work because there's no natural talent there. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, I mean, I would go and, and, uh, you know, I've, I've told this story before. I mean, there was, there was a point after when I was shooting for about 18 months or two years where my wife was like, like, we're ready to get a divorce here because you don't spend any time with me. And, you know, and I was very, very selfish at the time and something looking back, you know, as an older guy, you know, as how I was acting as a young man. Yeah, I was being an idiot, but I mean, I was going, I would shoot. I'd probably shoot matches um, four or five times a month. You know, I mean, maybe wow. maybe even more. I mean, you know, every single weekend, both days on the weekends, I'd go shoot matches every time that they had one. So, you know, not just um, I wasn't doing a whole lot of practice, but I was getting a ton of match experience. And so, just that that was it. You know, I mean, shooting a bunch uh, pistol matches anytime I could find them. At that point in the game, there was no three gun matches. You know, they didn't have monthly matches. I mean, it was right. still fairly new at that point in time. So the closest match I could go shoot was one time a year and it was four hours away. So it was just, you know, traveling. So I was just shooting a lot of pistol matches and uh, steel challenge matches was another thing that's great for pistol handling skills and driving the gun and calling shots and all that sort of stuff. But um, again, like I said, you know, I went to that national level match and when I did terrible on the long range stages, that's, that's when I decided like, okay, I'm going to go practice. You know, I'm not going to just go to a match because the match takes six hours and you shoot for like, you know, two minutes, whatever. Right. So I can go to the range, spend two hours out there just doing long range and uh, greatly, you know, increase my performances at the at the uh, matches. That's phenomenal. So I, I would imagine everybody knows, but for the people out there that aren't uh, aren't awake to the shooting world, your son is as accomplished, if not maybe even more than you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's uh, it's it's funny because people ask me like, well, so are you going to, you know, is, uh, you know, is your, did your kid beat you? Y yeah. He's been wrecking me for like three years now, you know, I mean, geez, now it's four or five years and, you know, not just winning junior championships, but you know, overall. So yeah, he's, he's the same way. He's, he's very, um, you know, he's like a sponge when you give him information, he just soaks it up. And I, it's funny, we we're out practicing one time and I kind of had the epiphany. I told him, I said like, don't take this the wrong way, kid, but like, you're just like coaching, um, you know, a lady, a, a female shooter. And he, you know, I mean, he didn't take offense to it. And he says, well, what do you mean by that? And I, I said, you have no preconceived notions about what's right and what's wrong. You have no chip on your shoulder about me, you know, telling you how to do things and helping you improve. And I just, 
I tell you what to do and you do it exactly and you do it very, very well. So, you know, he's, like I said, very, very open and, and receptive to instruction. And, you know, that's I think that's part of what's made him such a great shooter. And, and he's very humble. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's, he's a good kid. <laughs> Way better he's than I deserve. Awesome <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> he, 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 I mean, I, I can't remember where I first met him, but... I've hung out with you and your family a couple of times at different matches and different events and so on and so forth. And he is the most down to earth, awesome kid. And then watching him shoot is like, he just floats through the air. He's never flustered. He's just always smiling, having a good time, but extremely focused. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know I mean? And it's, it's, you know, like I said, he put it, he's, you know, he put just as much work and effort into it as I did. And, and, you know, young eyes, young knees, you know, and he's, you know, not a fat kid. He's, you know, <laughs> does, does a good job of keeping himself in shape and, you know, and all those things, you know, all those things go towards, yeah, having, you know, being a good shooter and, and, uh, you know, the being humble and, and respectful and stuff. That's mostly his mom, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so how old was Wyatt when you first got him introduced to shooting? Uh, he, like he shot his first nine mil pistol when he was five, I think, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd actually got a pistol, um, and, you know, and he was, you know, not like, Hey, what's going on with that? You know, he was just interested in it, you know? And so we went out and out in the, uh, in the shop, we got some bullet traps set up and, and went out one, one afternoon and, you know, did a little bit of shooting and he actually went and shot his first, uh, USPSA pistol match when he was I'm trying to say six or seven over in La Grande, Oregon. Wow. So yeah, they they had to. It was funny because you know everybody was kind of like, hey, what you know, what's the kid doing there? Because I mean, at that point in time, I mean, he you know that was pretty young to be shooting. And I said, look, you know, I mean, I went through and I made sure that he, you know, I was telling the match director this, I'm, you know, I made sure he knows all the range commands. You know, he's safe. I told him just make sure you take your time, make sure the gun stays pointed down range all the time. Blah blah blah. Okay, all right, you know, and so they were a little bit skeptical, but you know, he made it through the match with you know without getting disqualified or anything like that, and he was very, very safe. And I remember there was a couple of stages where they had porch to shoot through, and he wasn't tall enough to see through the porch, so they had to go get a pile of pallets for him to jump up on so he could <laughs> see see through the porch to shoot the targets. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Very cool. So, precision rifle, three gun, all these different disciplines you've seen them all what in your personal opinion and i'm sure some people might get you know argumentative about what it is or whatnot but your personal opinion what do you think is more challenging three gun or precision rifle or are they just apples and oranges too hard to compare yeah they're they're just apples and oranges and it's just way way too hard to compare i mean you know there's portions of the um you know the long range game that you know the reason the guys are good at that is because they they put in the effort, you know. And you know, it's 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 funny. I was actually talking with uh, John Pinch. We were having pistol discussions, and um, you know, the the thing that the the long range guys are really good about is you know trigger control. You know, for the most part, you know, if they know how to pull a trigger on a long range gun, they can probably do the same thing with a pistol. And you know, and again, it's, you know, we're, we're talking about like, you know, the whatever, the top 30, top 40 guys, you know, they know how to do a good trigger press. And and believe it or not, that's what makes a good pistol shooter. There's a lot of other things that you can do to become a better pistol shooter. But if you just want to shoot accurately with a fair amount of speed, you know, and if you know how to align the sights and do a good trigger press, you can be a good pistol shooter. You know, you, right. let me back up. You can be an accurate pistol shooter. 
you know but that's the thing in long range matches where you know there's a little bit of pistol involved every now and again you know speed isn't really the key there it's accuracy you know just right. just that's what the whole game is built around so you know and then on the um you know on the on the action shooting the three gun or the pistol side of the house there's a lot of places where those guys you know they're just not going to move as quick you know as as guys that are spooled up for those for those games it's just like i said it's it's apples and oranges it's it's completely different you know awesome so with with the direction that your career is going two years ago you shot quite a bit of precision rifle this year 2018 you're focusing more on the multi-gun you just got picked up by caracal came out with a new rifle tell us about yep. that uh tell uh the rifle the, the the rifle your relationship with caracal and kind of where you're headed okay well um it, it was funny because i i had been sponsored by colt competition rifles for five or six years something like that you know and right. and people that know me know that you know when i when i find a, a sponsor um i'm all about long lasting relationships you know and so it's not like i'm jumping around i got a new sponsor new rifle sponsor this month you know this year whatever and a new one next year and you know, same thing with, you know, optics and mounts and all those things. But, um, so I'd been with Colt competition rifles for, like I said, five or six years and, and they, uh, kind of went out of business. They quit doing their thing. And so I said, well, whatever, you know, I'm just going to, you know, shoot the same gun. It's got great, great, um, you know, features on it. I mean, it's set up exactly the way I want it. And I wasn't even really looking for a new rifle sponsor. It was just, you know, whatever, I'm going to go shoot this one, you know, I'm running a proof research barrel, you know, and I'm digging it. So, um, Jeff Spaulding came and hit me up and he was like, Hey, Trav, you know, we're looking at, you know, building a new rifle here. That's competition ready out of the box, ready to rock and roll. Is that something you could help me with? And I said, well, just so happens I'm not shooting with, you know, with for Colt anymore. So yeah, let's build something. Perfect. And time. so we, um, you know, went down there and talked with them. They're here local to me. So, um, what, what's this thing need? You know, and I, so I gave him a laundry list, you know, it needs all these things, you know, free float foreign, you know, good barrel, good chamber, um, you know, a good trigger and a, and a buttstock. Those are the, you know, kind of the key elements that can make, make for a good three gun rifle. And like two and a half weeks later, Jeff calls me up. Hey, we got this rifle down here. Do you want to come look at it? What rifle? Well, that one that you told us that we needed all these things for. Um, yeah. Okay. I wasn't expecting to hear anything from you guys for like six months, but yeah, let's go check it out. So, <laughs> so, so I went down there, you know, and they had the, uh, the first prototype version and it was, you know, had all the all the good sexy hotness on it. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's, that's legit. So, um, they said, okay, well, we want to change a couple things as far as branding goes. We want to make sure we get the Caracal logo here and these things and blah, 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 whatever. And, uh, all right, cool. Yeah. So they come up with a second re revision of it and I went down there and checked it out and they said, well, Hey, you helped us design this one. If you don't have a rifle sponsor, what do you think about partnering up with us? Yeah, that would be awesome. So, you know, Jeff over there, Jeff Spaulding, uh, you know, he's a huge supporter of the of the long range game, you know, I mean, he's taking pistols yes. out there and doing pistol giveaways for side matches and stuff like that. And Brian Leslie and, and Jay and those guys, they're, they're great over there. So I was like, yeah, this, this would be a great fit. So that was, that was how it all started. Phenomenal. And how has your season been for you? Um, this year it's my, my goal here, you know, I, like you said, I didn't shoot a whole lot. I don't think I shot maybe two precision matches this year and I, you know, shot, shot a few more last year the year before I, I shot quite a few but i just kind of wanted to take some time off and focus on just doing one thing um i'm gonna try and shoot some more some more long range matches this year uh you know 2019 but i just wanted to like i said i wanted to go 
I wanted to go and have fun with my buddies. <clears throat> Excuse me. I wanted to go have fun with my buddies. That was something that, uh, you know, for the guys that are out there and really, really being competitive and maybe it's just me, but I, I think it's kind of across the board, a type personalities, guys that want to go win. Right. Um, me personally, I get really wrapped up in the fact that I need to win and it's not for my sponsors and it's not for, you know, any of those sorts of things. Obviously I want to be a good representative for my, for my, you know, the companies that I shoot for, but I really lost sight of like, you need to go, you're doing this to have fun. And so that was my goal this year. And I didn't practice hardly at all. I mean, I'll bet you, I'll bet you I went out and practiced less than five times this year. And I knew that going into every single match that I went and shot. And when I had a stage, it didn't go as good as I wanted. You know, I kind of sat back and I said to myself, what'd you expect, Trav? You didn't, you didn't go practice. Did you really expect to, you know, to do great? Well, no, I didn't. I expected to come here and have a good time with my buddies. And so that was, that was kind of the focus this year was go shoot and remember why I started doing this and remember, you know, like hanging out with my buddies. That's the, that's the good, that's the good portion of it. You know, getting to, you know, take my wife and my kid with me on road trips and go and shoot these events and hang out and have, have a good time. So that was that was the focus this year was to go ma- to shoot matches and not practice. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, what I mean, not make it be a job, right. you know, I, I mean, I wanted it to be fun. And, and and it was, you know, I had a great time and, and uh, had some good successes, had, um, you know, had some match wins, had uh, some, you know, a couple top three finishes that at fairly major matches that, you know, the only reason I did so good is, you know, residual skill set. And uh, a lot of it was the mental game. You know, I mean, I just you know, went into it thinking to myself, you know, just be smooth, be accurate and uh, have a good time with it. And so it uh, overall, I had some really good match finishes this year. And, and uh, it was it was great because I wasn't so wrapped around the axle about, you know, winning and doing good. It was more about going and having fun. That's awesome. That's absolutely yeah. awesome. You, yeah, you know, you good. touched on the mental aspect of it. And we've seen competitors at all levels of skill sets where, I mean, myself included, you know, we'll go out we'll have a great stage and the next stage we completely bomb and our mental game just changes tremendously. When that happens to you, what do you do mentally to get yourself back into the game? This, I love having this conversation. This is, this is, you know, when I go do classes and stuff like that, you know, I've coached at the junior camp the last couple of years that this is something where I spend a lot of time and you know, some people, I don't know if they love it or hate it. I mean, I get good feedback from the classes, but I mean, I spend a lot of time talking about mental game and, and, you know, match, not just match prep, but stage prep. And part of the reason is, you know, you can go to the range and you can go practice, you could be doing everything right. But when you, you know, there is that, you know, it's an internal pressure that you put on yourself to do good. And so, you know, it's, if you can't, you know, shoot five stages good and then have one that doesn't go as good as you think it should, and rebound from that and get back on, you know, and shoot the rest of the match. Good. You know, that's a huge thing. It's a, you know, I mean, you got a lot of time, you got a lot of money invested in that time away from family, time away from work, whatever. And so that's something that I, you know, I, I love spending time talking about this and, you know, the mental game, I just, I mean, it's a huge aspect. So, you know, what I've, what I've kind of realized the conclusion that I came to a couple of years ago was, um, you know, shooting shooting five stages great and then having one that goes in the tank um on those five stages that went good this is the question that i ask the students like how long do you spend thinking about that stage like if you just go through and you just crush a stage how long do you spend thinking about that stage 
for me personally, it's about 15 seconds. I get all my crap picked up. I load mags for the next stage, do whatever I'm going to do to get ready to go on the, you know, on the next stage, which is, you know, I'm not going to shoot for another hour. And then it's back to, you know, goofing off, resetting, having a good time, chitty chatting with my buddies about nothing that had to do with that stage. Right. You know, I mean, it's immediately gone, you know, for the most part. I mean, I'm happy about it, obviously, but I'm on to other things. The problem that a lot of people have is when they have a bad stage, like they'll think about that for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And it just like they just can't get over it. Yeah, you know, it what's you. done is done. What's that? I, I said it haunts you. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, that's that's kind of what I came the conclusion that I came to was. If you wanted to do better on that stage, you should have practiced some more, but you didn't. So here you are. So now it's time to let that one go and start, you know, coming back up and shooting at the skill set that you were uh, at the level that you're currently at, you know, whatever, whether you physically tripped and fell or, you know, you knew you shanked a, you know, a shot and it, you know, went, went where it wasn't supposed to go. You can fix that super, super easy, you know, and that, that's why I tell everybody is like, well, you know, you had a bad stage there or whatever. Well, you got like eight more stages to pick it up or you got, you know, another day and a half that you can shoot good on all those stages and still have a good match finish. You know, right. it, it, just because just because one goes gunny sack on you doesn't mean it has to ruin your entire weekend or the entire match. So when you have a bad match and I've heard different opinions on this or a bad stage, rather, do you go back through? and just completely forget it? Or do you take notes on what you could approve so you remember for that later? That, that's a great question. So when I decided I want to be a good three-gun shooter, you know, and I'm trying to say it was like 2008 was when I went to the USPSA Multigun Nationals, I decided like, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to quit dinking around here. <clears throat> One of the things that I did at that match is I had a notebook and I would write down how I did on every single stage. You know, I'd write the things that went good and then I'd write the things that, well, this is a whole nother conversation that we're getting ready to get into here, but, um, you know, positive mental attitude. That's, that's one of the things that I talk about a lot, you know? And so when I took that notebook down, one of the things that I would write down is I'd write down, okay, what are the things that went good on this stage? All right. And I'd write down a page of notes, whatever. And then I'd turn the, turn, turn the page over and I'd start. And the, and what I taught, what I titled that next page is things that went bad. And I'm like, wait a minute here. That's not a positive mental attitude. So how can I rephrase that to make it sound, you know, good, right. And a positive mental attitude, things that I want to improve on. And so those things that I wanted to improve on, you know, whether it be side acquisition, target transition, you know, whatever, you know, long range, you know, talking about it in a long range content context, building a good position before I break the shots, you know, having a, um, you know, all of those things, that's, that's exactly how I would write them down is what do I want to improve on for next time? And those are the things that I would go home and practice. So when I, I did that for about two years is I would take that notebook with me and I'd write down, what I liked about the stage and what I wanted to improve on for next time. I'd write it down after every single stage, whether it went good or, you know, it could have gone better either way. And it's gotten to the point now, Travis, where it's kind of like you do that for two years shooting major matches, you know, 12, 13, 14 major matches a year. You kind of get to the point where you don't need the notebook anymore. You know what you need to go home and work on, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it's that, that's exactly what I did is I had a notebook and I would write down, you know, what I liked and what do I need, what I needed to improve on when I, you know, those are the things that I needed to practice when I went home. That's awesome. So yeah. One of the biggest things that most shooters are always refining their skill set on is reading wind. Mm -hmm. And I was at a match with you in, in, no, it wasn't Vegas. It was Arizona. And 
you're helping um i was shooting a production class or something and you're helping me kind of get uh get through a stage because i was just having a horrible time and this was a few years ago and we shot yeah i remember down at uh, tprc yeah and you like just right off the bat recalling when before i was even had my sight picture on what do you do to practice wind calls or to learn how to win wind read wind sorry about that no problem um to become better at it well that that's something i went down um a good buddy of mine um was friends with um a guy that does some training down in texas a guy named todd hodnett and uh Todd's not too much on the competition side of the house. He does mostly military and law enforcement training, that sort of stuff. But I mean, the guy's like, I think if I'm not mistaken, like he helped develop the tremor reticle and the tremor two and the tremor three and all those sorts of things. And so at his place down there in Texas, I mean, there's wind every which way. And so my buddy and I went down to his place to get prepped up for a long range match, a team match that we were shooting up in Montana. And, um, the way that it just happened to work out is Todd had a class going and, uh, the class got canceled or something like that. So my buddy and I just got to like basically shoot with Todd for like two and a half days. And, nice. you know, I mean, yeah, like, what do you pay for that? I have no idea. And the, I just, that was one of those things I fell ass backwards into and was tickled to death to be there. So I went down there with like 160 rounds of ammo, you know, long range ammo to shoot over this two and a half days. And I came home with 20 rounds of it. You know, I sat on glass all the, the entire time that we were down there. I was just sitting there calling wind and listening to what Todd was talking about and, and, and those sorts of things. And that guy is, <clears throat> I mean, that dude is a genius when it comes to that sort of stuff. I mean, just the way that he explains it and it, you know, and it helped me understand how it, <clears throat> how it worked better, which was, which was a huge thing. And, and after you get that initial, um, instruction, it's a lot like everything else. If you don't go practice it, you're going to lose it. And, you know, I'm not nearly as fast now as I was a couple, three years ago. Um, that doesn't mean I was a good shooter. I mean, just, just mean I could call wind better then, you know, <laughs> So, but it's just, uh, you know, I went down there and, and literally sat on glass for two and a half days and just, you know, watch, watch my buddy shoot and watch other guys shoot. And, and I'd sit there and I'd get a wind call in my head and, you know, having Todd freaking hot that sitting right next to me and he'd make a wind call and I'd say, okay, I called this, whatever, you know, 1.2 left. Why did you call it, you know, 1.0? And he says, well, you see, you know, you got this thing and it's coming around the corner, blah, 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 whatever. And then downrange there, it's not as, you know, you're getting a seven o'clock wind, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and that's that's kind of how how the whole thing started. And just, you know, using that formula that he's got, um, you know, and and just like everything else, lots of practice makes perfect, you know, perfect practice makes perfect. Right. So I bet you but, after this show, a lot of people are going to be Googling his name and trying to figure out how to get into one of his classes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's, you know, and, and I'm not going to, there, there's a lot of guys out there that are way better wind callers than I am. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, it's just practice. I mean, I, you know, haven't, like I said earlier, I haven't shot a ton of long range matches this year. So, you know, I mean, I need to get back out behind the gun and start, you know, spending some more time calling wind. But, you know, people ask me like, if you, you know, if you had a chance to go call wind, you know, spot for somebody or shoot, what would you rather do? Like, I, I'll call wind all day long. I, I mean, I would much, much rather do that just because to me that takes a lot more work than, you know, you know, being on the gun, pulling the trigger, you know, I mean, right. anybody can sit down on the gun and, you know, the guy tells him, you know, put in, you know, whatever, 7.3 mils elevation and hold left 3.2 or, you know, or what, I don't even know what it is. Anybody can do that and pull the trigger pretty good. 
you know, but it's the guy that's on the glass that's calling the wind. That's that's the hard job. That's that's what takes a lot of finesse and you know, and effort and and uh, skill. No, absolutely. Those are the those magic moments. Like, how the hell did that just work? And it, for whatever reason, it just did. So yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. So, okay, we talked a little bit about your shooting career and the whole nine yards. What about your professional career? MGM targets, Switchview USA. What's going on on the business side of stuff? Well, we're um, you know we we're getting some um, try, trying to break in and and uh, do a little bit more so on the twenty two side of the house. I mean, we've always had some twenty two targets, but doing some like twenty two precision stuff. We've got some new stuff that we're going to be introducing here, you know, just in time for the uh, uh, you know Black Friday sale you know after thanksgiving and that sort of stuff but um you know that that's we're trying to get some some more uh, targetry out for that sort of stuff and just trying to uh you know we, we've kind of come to the conclusion that while the precision 22 market is is something that's that's growing there's still just a metric ton of people out there that have you know they're what we refer to as the nra crowd they've so they've got a 30 out six or some other form of a hunting rifle They've got an 870 pump shotgun and everybody and their dog has a 22, you know, whether it's got a red dot on it or iron sights, you know, or whatever the case may be. So we're just trying to, you know, grow that market, you know, make sure that we've got uh, offerings out there for the guy that, you know, he only spent 150 or $200 on his, you know, his entire 22. We want to have a target out there for him to go shoot as well. You know, something that's going to be, you know, challenging for a guy with his kids but then also have something that's, you know, for the precision 22 guys, it's a little bit more, you know, up their alley. Very nice. And switch yeah. USA. Yep. Same, same thing. We've got, um, got a new product that we're, that we're coming out with. It's, um, um, it's one of our, uh, folding lever, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure quite a few people are familiar with our folder, but, um, we've, we've kind of redesigned it to where, uh, we've, we're down to like seven SKUs that we think are going to fit about 90% of the scopes on the market. And uh, it's quite a bit, uh, yeah, quite a bit less expensive to manufacture. So we're going to be able to have that down at the price point. That's probably going to be right in line with our standard standard lever. So just due to the way the way that we manufacture it and how it's built and all those sorts of things. So we're we're really excited about that. Awesome, awesome! I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. So. So yeah, should be good. One of the things that you and I have been talking about a little bit recently here is education for ROs, uh, specifically education for ROs in the precision rifle world. And you're more than generous enough to to help out and uh, offer your your services to help get this program rolling. But what do you think are some of the biggest places that we can improve upon ROing in precision rifle? Well, it's... A, a lot of that has to do with um, with course design, and and I'm basing this all, Travis, on on my three gun and pistol experience. Okay, right. um, so match directors and course designers, when they put a good course of fire together, I mean, you can tell when when you get there and you shoot a couple of stages, like, okay, yeah, this is a legit course of fire. And back in the day, um, you know, it it would be something like you know, stand here with your foot touching this thing and put your rifle on this and engage targets, you know, whatever, A, B, C, and D, then move over here and put your right foot on this thing with your blah, blah, you know I mean? So it's, you know, the course description is like 15 paragraphs long and takes 25 minutes to read. 
Right. Well, the problem with that is nobody wants to read it and nobody wants to listen to it, you know? So <laughs> that's, that's something where, you know, a good course design will really negate a bunch of the issues that shooters are going to have with the course of fire and potentially with the, with the range staff as well. Ideally, you know, my perfect world is when I go shoot a course of fire, what, what I want to see there is I want the, the RO to say, engage targets one through, you know, whatever I'm making stuff up here, engage right. targets one through five from position a engage targets five through one from position B. And there's enough stuff in there. The, you know, the match director or the range design or the course designer, he's going to make you do certain things there without telling you that you have to have your left foot touching this rock and you have to have this thing touching that, right? There's going to be obstacles there. The targets are going to be in a, in a, you know, stage in a place where you can't lay down prone because there's bushes in the way. So you got to use this fence post or bale of hay or, you know, or pile of rocks or whatever it is. Those are the types of things that, that really, that I like as a shooter because it gives me the ability to, you know, think this one out for myself. Do I want to use a tripod or do I want to use a, you know, whatever, a game changer bag up on this pile of rocks and a tripod in the rear, you know, just make it out there. It's, it's what we call freestyle. You know, right. I mean, you just, I don't care how you do it. You just got to shoot the targets from in, you know, in this area, you know, whatever it is. And I think those are some of the things that really, really enhance the shooting experience. You know, I mean, it's just like, I don't care how you do it. You just got to be standing in this area, engage the targets in this order, you know. And part of the reason for that is because when you do have the course descriptions that are 15 paragraphs long, you know, like I said, it's a, a lot of one of the things that USPSA brings to the table. And I know a lot of guys are, you know, pistol shooters and three gun shooters and long range shooters are haters on USPSA. But one of the things that they have done very, very well is defined and written a curriculum for the range staff. You know, everything's run exactly the same, literally across the, across the entire world. So right. if you go to shoot whatever the the um, Ipsic Rifle Championships in Russia last year, they're giving range commands in English the same way that they are in the United States. Same order, everything happens exactly the same way. So even if you don't, you know, speak Russian, you can go to Russia and you can still shoot the same course of fire. So USPSA has done a, a good job in that, um, that they train, that they train their range staff to be, you know, like, this is the way things work. You read the course description, you read it verbatim word for word, you know, and that's one of the things that, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, we, um, did the NRL championship finale here in Idaho or whatever, across the border over in Oregon, you know, and that's something that, you know, as a range officer, I want to do is I want to make sure that every single shooter that comes to my stage gets the same exact course of fire. So there's no misinterpretation, about how it's supposed to be done, what the start position is, where you need to be standing, you know, what the, you know, is it magazine and bolt back, is it bolt forward, is it finger on trigger, you know, whatever it needs to be. My job as a range officer is to make sure that every single shooter that comes through my course of fire gets the same exact course description. And that's something, you know, that I see that even at, you know, even at other, what I consider to be big, good matches, you know, mm -hmm. you go and you, you listen to the squad ahead of you and they get this course description. The guy's like, OK, we're going to shoot these targets over here, you know, targets A through D. And then you're going to move over to this thing here and they're not even reading the course description. So if they forget something or they miss it and then they're like, oh, hey, and oh, this other thing that I forgot to tell you over here in this one position. Right. So it just it kind of gets confusing a little bit right. and it leaves it open to interpretation. And so that's when you start having issues. Right. And, and we haven't even talked about calling hits yet all we're talking about is the way that the course of fire is shot you know and that's that's one of the things that 
you know, to have that there's enough other variables in long range shooting, wind, sun, all those other things that, you know, if we can cut down on those variables as much as possible, one of which is the way that the course description is presented to all the shooters, that makes it a much more fair and equitable match for everybody that comes, you know, as much as it can be for everybody that comes through and shoots those courses of fire. So, yeah. You know, know, that's that's, funny because, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. I was saying, I've RO'd several matches. I actually helped RO that championship as well. And I never even thought about, you know, how I read things can actually affect the way the shooter attacks that course of fire. You know, yep. you read it, the first five or six squads that come through, and then you think you know it, but by the end of the second day, you're so dead tired, you probably forgot half of what you read the first time. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, and, and again, it's just my goal is to make sure that everybody that comes through that gets the same exact, you know, I read it verbatim, word for word, every single time. That way I don't miss anything, you know, and if I, you know, if I put notes in there, uh, like on the first or second squad that comes through there, I'll make sure and read those notes. And, and you know, it, it's one of those things where having experienced range staff and I'm not talking about just being experienced range staff. I'm talking about being an experienced shooter as well is such a huge key. It's such a huge benefit to all the rest of the shooters because, you know, you could be, you know, reading the course description to the first squad that comes up there and you're like, oh, wait, this isn't going to work because these guys are going to, you know, ask these questions. And so anytime I have something like that that goes on in the first squad, if there's an issue that pops up with that shooter, like I'm all about giving that guy a reshoot because it potentially could be my problem that caused him to not shoot that stage as good as he could. And, you know, that's what I told everybody, you know, that's what I try and tell everybody. Like, my job as the range officer on this stage is to make sure you have the best stage you could possibly have here without, you know, from the time that the buzzer goes off to the time that the buzzer, you know, you know, your time shuts off anything I can do before or after that. I want to be here to, you know, to help you out in any way I can. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Great insight. I like, like I said, I never even thought about that. And you just brought a new light bulb went off in my head right now. Yeah. Well, you know, and and it's stuff like using timers. You know, like the little we, we there was a discussion on the one of the Facebook pages for the, you know, what timers does everybody use? Well, I like using the CED timers. Why is that? Because if a guy gets a shot off at, you know, whatever, if they're 90 second courses of fire and he gets a shot off at 90 point, you know, three zero, I'm going to give that guy the hit. Right. You know, and if it's at 90 point three one, I'm probably not. And it's and all we're doing there is consistency. Right. And that's something, again, that comes from USPSA. Why did they decide that 90, you know, that 0.3 is a good hit and 0.31 is bad? Well, because that's about the reaction time. You know, I mean, if you, you know, if you hear the buzzer go off and you pull the trigger, very rarely are you going to get that done in less than 0.3 seconds. Right. You know, so if the guy breaks the shot as the timer is going off there, you know, and he gets the hit, I don't want to screw that guy out of the hit. And that's something that you can't do with the timer on your phone or an egg timer or stopwatch, you know, and all that stuff that they've been using back in the day. So again, it just consistency, uniformity throughout the entire course of fire for, you know, for all the shooters. Yep. Tons of knowledge, Travis, tons of knowledge. And I really want to continue this conversation, but we're almost out of time for our scheduled podcast here. Um, But before we go, I've been asking this the last couple of times I've had guests on the show. What are your top three must-have items at a match? And I'm not talking about a scope or a Kestrel. You know, those are all the things that we should all have. But what are three things that Travis Gibson 
has to have at a match? Ooh, that's a good question. Snacks? You gotta have snacks. <laughs> you gotta be more specific. Now, I know one shooter won't shoot a match unless he has chocolate in his bag. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I, I usually just something for you know that that'll tide me over that fills you up as a uh, peanut butter crunch cliff bar. I usually try and make sure I've got a couple of those in my bag. So if I start oh, yeah. getting hangry, you know, I got I got some snacks to eat that. Um, what's what's some other stuff? Um, w- one of the things, and I don't know, this might be you know talking about equipment is I always take a spotter with me and it's for, you know, so I can be watching where other guys are shooting. One of the things that I really like to do is I like to mill targets, you know, when, you know, before it's my turn to shoot, I want to know how wide that target is. I want to know how tall the target is so I can say, all right, well, if I'm doing holdovers, I know that this target is one mil tall. And so, you know, whatever, if I need to be a 0.6, I can just hold top of target, you know, get a hit there. And the same thing with the width, you know, I mean, I I know that I've got whatever a 0.6 variance, you know, that's how wide that target is. So if I hold left edge, I can still get a hit with a, you know, if a left, if I needed a left point five or whatever it is. So a spotting scope is something that, um, you know, that I, that I take with me also. And, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't, other than, other than equipment, that's, that's, I don't, I don't know what else, what else I have that, that nobody else would have. <laughs> no lucky pendant, no lucky charm, a rabbit's foot. Nope. If, I, I figure if I haven't, if I haven't done enough work to, uh, uh, in pre in pre match, you know, in practice and that sort of stuff, I don't deserve to win, and n- nothing lucky is going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fault. Truth. Like I can't be blaming the blaming the fact that I didn't win a match because I didn't bring my lucky rabbit's foot. <laughs> uh, awesome, Travis, my yeah. friend. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time out um, this morning. It's Thanksgiving week. So I know you got a ton to do with the family. Please send my love to them. Tell Wyatt I said what's up. Yep, and, I will. Um, I look forward to seeing you soon. I, I'm not sure if I'll see you before SHOT Show, but if not, I definitely look forward to hanging out with you there. Yep, that sounds great, Travis. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed our time. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, get something going on the, uh, the RO program. Obviously, if there's anything that I can do to help out there, don't hesitate to give me a shout. Likewise, you know I'm always at your disposal, sir. I really appreciate you. Yep, thanks, man. I appreciate that.